We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRungood.com. All the stats, tools, and info that I will be discussing on this podcast can be found over at RickRungood.com. My in-depth course breakdown on Sedgefield Country Club is already up on the site right now, and I'd recommend checking that out because uh, this podcast is going to be less about breaking down the golf course and uh, more about talking through the betting board and who I think is going to win. So for all of my premium content, any questions you want to ask me this week, the best place to do that is not on Twitter. It is in that rickrungood.com discord, and you can get into that by heading on over to rickrungood.com, promo code Andy. Just type in Andy in the coupon code section when you sign up. That is the important part if you want to help me out, and we would love to have you as part of the team. All right, coming up on this podcast... Uh, I've been doing a lot of travel lately. I uh, I didn't really get to do any 3M open content last week. The podcast I put out with Joseph Lamagna was uh, more of a discussion on recapping the open championship and debating debating some Ryder Cup selections. So I wanted to make sure I got out some legitimate uh, Wyndham championship content. Uh, haven't really done a ton of solo pods lately. Uh, so I'm just going to talk through my picks and bets for the Wyndham. Uh, just me. I feel like I can get more information out there when I just go. I definitely have some thoughts on this board and DraftKings slate. I think we've actually got some better odds than we're used to seeing this week. So in the first half of the episode, I'm going to talk through my bets at the Wyndham. And then in the second half, my girlfriend, Natalie, our resident Taylor Swift correspondent and expert is uh coming back to share her experience of the airs tour she went uh she went on saturday to the taylor swift concert at levi stadium uh so she's going to discuss that and we'll deep dive a little bit more about why this tour has become such a phenomenon probably the uh probably the biggest musical act ever and it's uh it's pretty fascinating to me how that has happened, how Taylor was able to do it and uh, a lot more. So that will be in the second half. But first, 
Let's talk about my picks for the Wyndham. Um, we'll start at the top of the board. I uh, I got to say, I was actually pretty surprised uh, to see the odds on the top three guys. This feels like the first time in quite a while that we haven't had somebody at, I don't know, 14 to one or lower. I actually thought this week, not that they are by any means deserving of that price tag in this field, but I really thought that they would put the trio of Hideki, Sungjae, and Sam Burns all in that 14 to 16 zone and just letting people pick and moving them and adjusting them from there because that's basically what we've been getting. You know, we are seeing, I'm looking at BetMGM right now, I'm looking at the odds checker grid overall, but gosh, I cannot remember the last time that the favorite of a tournament has been 20 to one or higher. And that's kind of what we have this week with Hideki, Sungjae, Russell Henley now, I guess, and Sam Burns all in that 18 to 20 range. And I don't know if I would argue that any of those numbers are great on any of those players based on the way that they've been playing. But I would absolutely say that Hideki is my favorite of that bunch. And probably that's the direction that I would go and I'm heavily considering going at the top of the board if I made that move. I I, I feel it's not a strong, strong opinion, but I think, you know, gun to my head, Hideki's my pick to win this week. And I haven't spent a ton of time on Twitter this morning, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of interest in in any of these players. I guess DraftKings, it's a little bit of a different conversation. I actually really like, and they're the two highest priced players on the slate in DraftKings. I think I'm going to play both of them. I actually really like both Hideki and Sungjae this week. Um, even Sungjae coming off a relatively disappointing performance last week at the 3M where he missed the cut. Uh, I would prefer Hideki to Sungjae. I'm, de- I'm certainly not going to bet both of them. If I bet one of them, it would be Hideki. Um, I just think Hideki, I mean, his course history here, he's got three top 15 finishes and seven appearances, a third in 2016. He's got a couple missed cuts here too, but he's gained strokes ball striking every single time. The greens have given him some trouble, but they give him a lot of greens, give Hideki trouble. Um, and I, my numbers, I have him as number one in my model. He is by far the best pure short to middle iron player in this field. Uh, I talk about how essential that is in the article up on the website. Like I said, I'm not going to do a lot of course breakdown in this podcast. I'm going to do a lot more talking about the players that I like, Um, but probably the best mid to short iron player in this field, really accurate driver of the ball too. top 40 in both accuracy off the tee this season and strokes gained off the tee on what I would categorize as shorter positional golf courses. His putter actually hasn't been that horrendous this year, and he's had some success on Bermuda. I mean, his most recent victory came at Wiley, uh, the second event in the 22 season, so 2022 season. So I would definitely say that he's due, but he's been a decent lag putter this year pretty decent on Bermuda over the last two years. And he still ranks second in opportunities gained 
uh, in this field, behind only Justin Thomas, by the way. So no one outside of JT is better at generating birdie opportunities than Hideki. He's second in this field on all of the comp courses that I'm looking at on shorter golf courses, shorter positional golf courses. Six in this field in Bermuda golf courses from tee to green. Uh, so this is a Hideki golf course. I mean, Hideki is the type of player where he feels kind of course proof a lot of the time. He's had success at golf courses like Firestone and Torrey Pines, but also a ton of success here and at courses like TPC Sawgrass. The short game's been pretty awesome too. And I think that Sedgefield is a sneaky, challenging golf course around the greens, especially chipping out of Bermuda rough, in my opinion, is just a lot more challenging than uh, the bluegrass rough that we see at a lot of the bent grass courses. Um, so I feel pretty great about Hideki this week. And he he hit the ball really darn well at, at the 3M. He gained 2.6 off the tee, five on approach, lost three strokes putting, but the ball striking looked absolutely incredible for him on Sunday. So I think he's got some momentum coming in and he's back to playing some really good golf this year. It's been a quietly steady and consistent season, but he's gaining over three on approach in four of his last fives. The iron play this year is right on par with any great Hideki iron season. For my money, he is pound for pound still a top seven or eight iron player in the world the best in this field and just in general he's I would put him still in that top seven or eight and he's he just feels primed for a win and 18 starts this year he's made 15 cuts 12 top 30 finishes but just the two top tens which came at Torrey Pines and TPC Sawgrass so I think this is an incredibly good spot for him I'm curious what the ownership is on him this week doesn't look like he's on a lot of betting cards he'll probably be on mine uh, that's probably where I would start at the top. And then the next bet that I have made, I said the first bet that I have made this week was Aaron Rye at 45 to one. And by the way, there is one or two fifty availables as well. He's as low as 33 in some spots. I think he's as high as 50 on Caesars. Uh, so if you have access to Caesars, I would recommend grabbing that 50 on Aaron Rye. I, I like him all the way down to 40. Uh, but Aaron Rye, you know, he's coming off a 20th at the 3M Open where he gained 1.7 off the tee, 1.7 on approach. Gain strokes in all four major categories. Great all-around performance from him. And what I really love about Rye and why I bet – I don't bet Rye to win a ton, but I have bet him – a couple times this season, he shows exactly what you want to look for in the outright market, right? A lot of the time in in DFS, it's about identifying players that have the highest mid-cut percentage and give you the best chance to play over the weekend, even if they finish T34. But I actually think that Rye has shown in his ball striking that this is a guy that has winning upside. There's been seven times this year where he's gained over five strokes ball striking and he's had a couple like really good putting performances as well. It's obviously just been marrying those two things together in the same week. But you look at a guy like Rye based on some of these other guys in the 40, 50, and 60 range, 
And they're just not giving you that upside that I think is required to win a golf tournament, right? Like I know that Aaron Rye, I have zero doubt in my mind that Aaron Rye can actually still hit the ball well enough right now to win a golf tournament if the putter cooperates. And there, you know, there's certain other guys on this board, especially at the Wyndham, where you're really hoping that they can gain six, seven strokes putting to win, right? And Aaron Rye isn't as dependent on his putter. He's still a fine putter. But the reason why I absolutely love him at this golf course, I love him on any golf course that favors distance over accuracy. But Rye's accuracy off the tee is probably his biggest weapon. He is an incredibly, incredibly accurate driver of the ball. He raises his baseline. He's one of the biggest risers in strokes gained off the tee on shorter positional golf courses. He ranks third in this entire field in driving accuracy this year. He's got a good short game, and he's a really good iron player too, particularly with the middle to short iron players. His his long-term proximity numbers from 125 to 175, which is a range that I really think you want to focus a lot of your attention on this week he's top 15 in this field as well and a top five driver of the ball in terms of accuracy in this field so i like hideki i'm probably going to end up betting hideki bribe might be my official pick to win and he was the first bet that i made this week uh i think 45 to 1 is absolutely fine if you can grab the 50 by all means but i think that this is an absolutely perfect golf course for rye and you look at some of the courses that he's played well this year he's got top 25s at the players and travelers those are both golf courses that ask fairly similar questions uh particularly off the tee to the questions that are going to be asked at sedgefield uh so i'm incredibly high on him this week i um i can't say enough good things about aaron rye the next bet that i made and it looks like this number is on the downturn so I would act on this one maybe a little bit quicker. I bet it at 55 to 1. I've seen some people, some folks grab some 60s. I'm seeing him pretty much down to 50 across the board, which is still a really good number in my opinion. I, I actually thought that he would be, market would be a lot closer to 40 on this guy, even coming off the miscut. But I like Adam Hadwin a lot. This was a player I liked last week. I am not deterred by the miscut. He still, his driver still looked really strong, gained over two strokes off the tee, which I think is going to be incredibly important on this golf course. And he's got a top 10 here in 2021 where he gained over 5.5 strokes ball striking. So he's shown it before here on this golf course. Uh, And he is a, he's got pretty much, he checks the driving accuracy box, uh, right? He is a, very accurate driver of the golf ball. You want Adam Hadwin on probably more shorter positional golf courses. The iron play is rock solid as well. Trust his putter. Um, Good short game too. Knows how to score. Does really well in easier scoring conditions. Makes a lot of birdies. Good on shorter courses. Has had some good success on Bermuda as well. Um, And he's, I mean, like you look at those courses like, ninth at the players recently a couple decent finishes at some of the other ones that i was looking at whether it be tbc river highlands sea island things of that nature 
but I just think there's a good opportunity in terms of the value on Hadwin and a player that, especially in DraftKings, I think he's like $8,000. I don't, I don't think he's even coming off the miscut. I don't think he's going to be sneaking up on him. I know my friend John, who I played golf with this weekend, is incredibly high on him. And he tweeted out that he thought Adam Hadwin was our winner. Don't know how that's going to reflect in terms of like creating really high ownership for him, but he's definitely not sneaking up for it, sneaking up on anyone this week. I think the community has gotten smart enough to the point where they can understand that to not be not get too married to one bad performance by a player that's a good course fed and be able to take advantage of catching value on a player coming off one bad performance. Uh, but I just thought 50 to one is too high for Adam Hadwin in this field. So that was the second bet that I have made this week. Uh, and then the third bet that I am absolutely in on, I love this guy this week. This is uh, maybe the most pumped I've been for a 90 to one bet in quite some time. Uh, and I'm a big admirer and, and follower of this guy because I've I got to play against him in high school and I watched how he navigated a golf course and kicked my ass and followed his career relatively closely at once he went off to Stanford as well. But I love Brandon Wu this week. Um, and I, I don't expect him to be a, a chalky guy in DraftKings either. I think he's in the low seven K range, maybe 7,200. I'll probably write him up in my core four as well, but there's a guy coming off a 57th at the 3M Open, but you look at the ball striking, 2.6 off the tee, 2.8 on approach, lost 5.4 strokes putting. Um, and the off the tee and approach, both trending in the right direction for him. And I think there's a lot to like about Wu from an upside perspective too. I mean, he is pretty hit or miss in the sense that he makes his, he's made about 50% of his cuts this season, but he's got two top threes, a runner-up at Pebble Beach, a third at Mexico. He's got another top 10 recently at the Canadian Open. He's done a lot of contending on golf courses like Vedanta Villarta, and he's he's done a lot of good work in some of those past Palm golf courses, but he finished eighth uh, at Wyndham last year, which I, you know, I guess you wouldn't think of this to be a Brandon Wu golf course if your mindset is this is a good Pos Palum, slow green, tropical guy. How does he do on fast Bermuda greens? But look at how the guy played here last year. He gained strokes in all categories, finished eighth, also was in the mix at the players this year. Um, so I think the fact that this is on fast Bermuda greens, I think that's actually an asset for Wu, despite the fact that he's also found a way to be pretty successful on past Palm as well. Rock solid iron player. Very accurate driver of the ball off the tee, top 40 in all of the off the tee categories that I'm looking at. Uh, really good lag putter too, which I think is pretty important on this golf course. And he can score. He's top eight in this field and birdies are better gained over the last year. So I think this is a pretty great spot for Brandon Wu. Um, and I love that 90 to one number that's being hug on him. So those are the guys that I am absolutely in on. Wu, 
Hideki, I haven't bet yet, but Ryan Hadwin, Rye Hadwin, and Wu are the the only three bets that I've made. Even if a, even if I add Hideki, I'll have room to add one or two guys in the you know seventy to one twenty range. And a couple of the names I'm kicking around, I actually think the Chris Kirk number is pretty good. I don't know if Chris Kirk is a two win per guy season, but he's fifty to one. I talked about this with Jeff in the show that we just did for Odds Checker, where we were talking about how you know you can get some of these Denny McCarthy lights at double the odds. I don't think Chris Kirk is a Denny McCarthy light. I think that he's probably better than Denny McCarthy. I mean, his I mean, he's won six times on the PGA Tour and is still playing some really good golf this year. You know, even after winning at the Honda, he's got. Top 20 finishes in two of his last four starts. He's got a lot of great success at, on Bermuda and these shorter positional golf courses. I've, I've mentioned he won the Honda. It's another golf course with similar agronomy. He's won at Colonial before. Just an incredibly accurate driver of the ball. I'm kicking him around in the 50 to 1 range. Probably uh, also considering going back to Svensson, who you can get at 75 to 1. Svensson, I was much higher on last week. Uh, still very high on him this week, and he was good last week. I mean, nothing wrong with his performance uh, from a ball striking perspective. No red flags by any means. In fact, he gained 1.8 off the tee, 3.5 on approach, lost 2.6 putting, and finished top 40. So that's fine. But you look at Svensson on these golf courses like TPC Sawgrass and Sea Island where he won in the fall swing, um, and he's one of the biggest risers when you put them on these shorter positional often Bermuda golf courses. So I don't know how popular he gets. He, he might get a little popular just because of the success at golf courses like sea Island and the players and the fact that the ball striking numbers looked good last week, but I still think, you know, a 37th place finish is probably enough under the radar. I was surprised at how low owned he was last week for, how rock solid of a DraftKings play that it felt like he was. So at the very least, he'll he'll be in the mix for me on DraftKings, uh, and could I think seventy five to one is is a very fair number on him. I think Kuchar is going to play really well this week. I've seen a little bit more love for for Brendan Todd, who I think is fine as well. Both Kuchar and Todd were top ten in my model. I think Kuchar's a far better player still. And I think Kuchar has far, far more ball striking upside, whereas Todd, the Todd number's a little better. Um, so I will say that you can get Todd at like 100 to 1 and Kuchar's 75 across the board. Uh, but you look at Kuchar, he's coming off a of 43rd at the 3M where he gained over four strokes on approach. And that's where I think the big difference lies between Kuchar and, and Todd here is that Todd just doesn't gain over four strokes ball striking anymore. He hasn't done it all season. He hasn't done it in years. He just doesn't have it in his bag. So if you're getting a Brendan Todd win or a Brendan Todd top five or a top 10, you need him to gain five strokes putting, which he does often all the time, but you don't have that extra, that extra added layer of safety that you do with Kucher, where not only are you likely to get a good putting performance, but there's also a chance that, you know, 
Kuchar is still a guy that can gain over seven strokes ball striking like he did this year at the Valero Texas Open and at Riviera, right? I mean, he finished top eight at Riviera and gained a ton ball striking that week. Ninth at the match play, seventh at the Sony Open. So I would say that Kuchar, I don't know if Kuchar's got one more win left in the tank. But I will say this, if we're talking about guys that are probably over the hill, I still think Kuchar at 75 is a way better bet than Adam Scott at 30 and and Brendan Todd at 100. But I, I just think that I think that with Kuchar, and it's been weird because he hasn't played this event a ton. He's only played here one time and he was good, finished top 30, gained over a stroke ball striking. But this is obviously one of the not say only remaining because there are a lot of these golf courses on the PGA tour, probably too many of them in my opinion, but this is the type of golf course that Kuchar can still win at. Uh, I, I firmly believe that. And he has remained one of the best. He still has got one of the best short games, not just in this field in the world this year. I mean, he's been like a top five short game guy, over a really large two-year sample size now. So his short game, which I do think is, it's a relatively high greens and regulation percentage here, but the degree of difficulty around the greens here is still challenging. So I think that's going to come in handy. He still ranks seventh in Bermuda putting over the last two years. And, you know, you look at his course history at some of these other golf courses, and he's the number one player in this field at Harbortown. He's won the Sony. He's won the Mayakoba, which is another golf course that heavily biases accuracy over distance. He's won the players, another second and third at the Heritage, third at the players, tons of great finishes at Mayakoba and Sony. The list goes on. So I actually think there are far worse bets on the board, even at this stage of his career, than Matt Kuchar. And I think he's a little too cheap on DraftKings. I think that, you know, he's $7,400. I guess I wouldn't put him that much higher than 76 or 77, but I'm really high on Cooch this week. couple other names from a DraftKings perspective that I've got some interest in. Bezadenhout, 7K. These are not guys I'm going to bet. Bezadenhout, 7K. Griffin, Ben Griffin, 7.2K. He finished fourth here last year. Zach Blair is underpriced at 6.5. Also at 300 to 1. That's that's too steep on Zach Blair. Uh, he should be 150 to 1 in this field. 125 maybe. But this is a good golf course for Zach Blair. I'll probably take one more ride on the Carson Young train. Now at 6,600. Coming off a miscut where his ball striking still looked good. I think this is a good flop lag opportunity on Ekrote at 7,100 too. Those are some of the names that I'm considering heavily for DraftKings. And I think at the top, I'm going to, I'm going to rock with like Hideki, maybe in 50% of my lineups and, and Sung Jay in the other 50 and play those two guys at the top and mix them in with, you know, some guys in the low nines and, and high eights. Definitely Aaron Rye at 8,600, depending on ownership and Chris Kirk at 82. So that, those are my picks for the window. Those are the guys I like. Give a lot of names uh, that I've absolutely already bet and some guys that I'm considering for DraftKings. Of course, 
Be sure to check out that Wednesday article on the website for a far more in-depth discussion of who I like for DraftKings this week when I really sit down and dissect the ownership as it progresses throughout the week. But that will do it for me this week on the Wyndham. Best of luck, of course, with your bets this week. And let's talk some Taylor Swift now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Natalie's back. Our uh, her resident Taylor Swift correspondent slash expert. Uh, I'm pretty much just gonna clear out for you and let you cook on this one for however long you want. Uh, so I guess let's start big picture, uh, and then we'll get into the details. But you went to Taylor the Taylor Swift concert at Levi's Stadium. I have a feeling I know the answer to this question, but would you say that it met? the lofty expectations that you laid out for us last time you're on the podcast. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back. As you can probably tell from my voice, which is gone. It was absolutely incredible. It was truly magical. One of the best nights of my life. And I'm just trying to figure out a way to go back. So it was, it definitely met expectations and exceeded them. So walk me through the the day. This whole Taylor experience, it turns into like a 24-hour thing, right? Like you were getting ready for this. You were up at like 7 a.m. getting ready for this. Oh, fully. Well, first I want to preface it by saying that my friend Hannah and I that went, we completely we decided we wanted to go completely sober. We were not interested in anything because we wanted to be the most present possible. So when I use the word pre-gaming, I do not mean with alcohol. I just mean with like dancing and having fun. So basically we started pre-gaming at like 6.30, I think, the morning. Like, up. like so in the morning. In the morning, in the morning. What, right? what time was well, the concert? 12 hours later? 
It started at 6.30 p.m. Well, technically, actually, I would say we started the night before because we were listening to the music and like playing. My friend plays guitar. So we were playing guitar and like singing and just like really getting in the mood. Okay. And and then the morning, I honestly didn't even set an alarm. I just woke up naturally because I was so excited. Okay. So we woke up at 6.30 and we were just like all day had Taylor Swift on. Like the whole day, we sort of rotated between listening to music watching music videos. And also then when we were doing our friendship bracelets, which is a huge Taylor Swift thing that we can get into. But for that part, we were watching the reputation stadium tour, which is on Netflix, which is incredible. So, so that started at 6 30 AM. We had a few breaks here and there to do things, but we pretty much all day were Taylor Swifting. We made friendship bracelets, which is like a huge tradition for Taylor Swift fans to make bracelets that have like lyrics or little sayings or song names or whatever on them. And then you wear them to the concert and then you exchange them with other Swifties. So did Um, you meet, did you exchange some friendship bracelets with a couple other Swifties? Oh my gosh, of course. Well, first of all, Oh yeah. So first we made friends. So we decided to take the train because we were in San Francisco. The concert was in Santa Clara. So it was like not that long of a drive, but we just figured driving would be an absolute nightmare, which we later found out was it literally took people two hours to leave the parking lot, like literally to get to their cars. So was the train station walking distance from where the concert was like it was literally like, right next to it. Uh, like it was probably pro move for sure. Oh yeah, we'd fully researched this in advance. We're like, what is the most efficient way? Because obviously we're not leaving early and we're also not getting there late. Like that's ridiculous. So yeah, it was like a five minute rat or five minute walk, which was fine. But when we are waiting for the train, we like obviously were dressed up. I was fully embracing speak now. Yeah, do you want to give the listeners a little look into your outfit? Oh, totally. Okay. So I wanted Speak Now, which is like her purple album. So I wore just re released, by the way. For, yes. Know, re- good those job. who don't know. Yep. Thank you. Good job. Re released. And it was always my favorite album. And I also just love purple. I thought it would be fun. So I wore a purple skirt. I wore a white tank top and like a purple kind of like see through jacket thingy. But it's all supposed to be just like really fun, like costumey. And then I had my hair with like little braids and like purple eyeshadow and like glitter. And it just was really fun. And then Hannah, my friend, wore, she also did purple, but she wanted to like combine. Oh, wait, I forgot to. So I had obviously my friendship bracelets, but then I also made a friendship necklace that I was not going to trade. But this huh. necklace said it was purple, but it's like, you got to pay a high price for the necklace. You're willing to dole out some bracelets, but the necklace, no, the necklace is not going. It's not. Also, we like, this is kind of messed up and I probably shouldn't say this, but we made our bracelets. And then we also intentionally made bracelets that were like, oh, these are like not as good. So we're, Give like, away down, we're like down to trade them, but like, I wanted to keep like certain ones for myself, <laughs> but like, it's all in good fun. So so what was I saying? Okay. Yeah. So that was my, so the necklace, it was like a choker and it said fearless. Cause that's my other favorite album. So I wanted to like pay homage to that. Uh-huh. So, and then Hannah was wearing like a purple jumpsuit. She did kind of a lover. She also loves lover. So she did like a heart on her, uh, around her eye, 
which is on the cover of Lover, the album. That's how Taylor has it. And she also has blue, like the ends of her hair is blue. So Hannah did that, which was incredible. It looked amazing. Mixing eras. Mixing eras. Well, and she also loves Reputation. So her choker said Delicate, which is like her favorite song from the album, Reputation. So we were mixing and matching. Like, obviously, we've been fans for so long. So we like, I love every album. So it's kind of tricky to to pick one although i i definitely went with speak now like the most speak now is your favorite i yeah yeah. well we'll get into it though because i've new found appreciation for other albums okay so so walk me through like you get there and what's the vibe like is everyone just over the moon everyone's being nice to each other everyone's how early did you get there is the stadium full by the are people is everyone getting there early like what is what's the timeline look like she has somebody open for her right like did you see that she had two openers okay backtracking so she so first of all we took the train so we were dressed up sitting waiting for the train and there was like no one around so we were like you facetimed me while i was on the golf course yeah, you saw us. We, there was like nobody around, but we also looked so cute. So we're like, this is really strange. Like, where are all the Taylor Swift people? Because in the Bay Area, they nicknamed this train because they made it, they did it like special for Taylor Swift and they called it the Swifty train. So we're like, where is everybody aboard the Swifty train? Um, and this girl walks out of the train station to the bench, like we were waiting and she was alone and she was in like full reputation, like black, snake tights, like, red glitter on her face like alone and we were like oh my god and we like instantly connected with her and ended up like chatting with her she's a soul cycle instructor in san francisco so we're like great we've got a soul cycle friend and she was super cool and we ended up sitting with her on the train and made really good friends with her and it was just amazing like i knew did you give her one of your b minus friendship bracelets (laughs) First of all, they weren't any, none of them were B minus. They were all like in the B plus to A plus range. Right. Um, You know, actually, I think I did. I don't remember which one I gave her, but she gave Hannah one that had, it was like beaded. And then it said K-O-F-M or sorry, K-O-M-F, King of My Heart, which is not F. I literally am just, I can't spell Anyway, the song is King of My Heart, which is from Reputation, which is a really good song. So that was like the first like entree. We we met her, which was amazing, and walked with her into the stadium. And everybody is decked out. Like literally not a single person is not dressed up. Like the guys are dressed up. Dads are dressed up. Daughters. Like literally every person that we see is dressed up. So something. what's what's the demographic breakdown? Like, would you say that it was 80% girls? Like what, how many, how many dudes were out there? Honestly, more than I expected. Like there was a solid amount and I feel like definitely like 85% girls, I would say, but younger, like your age, like very young, like older, at a mix, which was so cool. I yeah, feel that's like that's what I would have expected. It was really great to see like just all sorts of people, lots of young girls, like really young, like probably like eight or nine, um, dressed up so cute, like with their moms and like definitely a lot of guys, definitely a lot of like boyfriends you could tell that were like 
trying to be there to support, but also like Loki probably loved music. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm um, just thinking like when we were standing, there was like a group of high school girls in front of us, like probably like five or six, and they were so cute. And then this was funny. There was a mom in front of us, a mom with her two, like probably 14 or 15 year old sons that were just kind of like standing there, like didn't really know like what to do. Um, but then one of the songs when she played, they were like totally singing the lyrics. And I'm like, this is such a random song for them to know. But so it definitely was a mix, but everybody was dressed up. And, and did, everybody you, was- did you make friends with the people sitting around you or? Um, not, I mean, sort of, we like, I feel like like, you're so locked in that. (laughs) Sorry. I'm kind of sick because I like, haven't slept. I've been staying up all night listening to Taylor Swift. Um, no, we were definitely locked in, but like, obviously with the people around you, you're like dancing, like, you know, like kind of interacting, but nothing like, Hey, like tell me about yourself. Cause there wasn't the opportunity, but but yeah, it was awesome when we walked in. Like, this was so funny. I wrote, I started writing things down from the second we got on the train. Cause I was like, I just want to have this in like 20 years from now, just cause I'll forget like the little details. So I started writing things down. So when we were getting off the train, first of all, San Francisco in the summer is always really cold, but the South Bay where we were was like really hot. It was probably like 80, 85 and sunny. So Hannah had like this purple lipstick or like lip stain on her mouth and her lips got so chopped. So we're walking and she was like, I'm like, I can't, like, I need Aquaphor on my lips. Like I need something. So she sees a girl with Aquaphor in her bag and she just goes up and is like, Hey, like, I know this is crazy, but like, can I have some? And the girl's like, Oh my God, duh. Are you kidding? Like, so everybody was just very like, you know, everyone is happy. Everyone's excited. It's like the to like, share it's a very communal experience everyone's there for the same goal right nothing exactly. nothing else matters totally and i think people just are so excited and energized walk like because we were walking in so people are like oh my god what's it gonna look like what's it gonna be like so that was really cool have you have do you think you've ever because you've been to a bunch of concerts have you we've both seen john mayer a bunch of times and you've you've seen her before i mean was this like anything that you've ever seen before in terms of the atmosphere and the vibe in the arena literally no i've never been to anything like this in my entire life there's no you can't compare it to anything there's first of all just the size i've been at levi's stadium before but it's literally every single seat was filled, like up to the nosebleeds every single seat there's like somebody jumping, singing, dancing. Like, so it's like the noise and the like energy is just unbelievable. Like I've genuinely never experienced anything like it. John Mayer concerts, obviously like so fun, but it's just such a different vibe. Like, cause this is just, there was people of every age and everyone's happy. And I feel like you don't find that with very many artists, if any, like, I feel like she's really the only artist I could think of that. Like you could see like a seven-year-old girl and then like a 65-year-old man. Mm-hmm. And they're maybe, like, I maybe put like Beyonce in that category. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. But anyway, it was electric and it was just very like being in the stadium, just walking in. Even I was like, oh my God, like this is just 
going to be an incredible experience. So that was, that was just walking in. But then when it started, it was like, oh my God. So yeah. So let's go. So, so is this in chronological order? Like she does, she does, she doesn't mix up eras. That would be quite confusing. I would imagine. Well, in a way. Okay. So first of all, she had two openers. She had Gracie Abrams, who's like some random singer who I think is kind of popular with like high school. Right. School. I'm sure she's wonderful. If she's opening for Taylor Swift. Oh no, she was amazing. She had the most incredible. She sounded like Phoebe Bridgers, honestly. Like I was like, oh, I need to investigate her music more. But it was so cute. We actually like when we walked in, we're like, okay, we have like an hour plus until the sh- until Taylor comes on. So we need to get in line for merch like immediately because we just heard the lines for merch were insane. And you can't buy them, or you I think you can buy some of the merch online, but. So we got in line, Gracie Abrams played, and then Haim played, which is a really great band. It's like three sisters, and she has a bunch of music with them, and they're also her close friends. Hold on one second. I need to cough. <clears throat> okay, sorry. I'm back. So um, so they played, and then we literally stayed in line for an hour plus to get merch. Like, I'm not exaggerating. It was crazy, but it was worth it. But literally, Hannah, we sort of switched out. So Hannah ended up running back to our seats because we were getting nervous that it was getting close. So she ran and she was texting me and was like, okay, like the timer's counting down. Like you got to hurry. So literally as I was paying for the merch, I ran out and it was like 10 seconds away from her coming on. It was the most like I was sprinting, like full speed sprinting in white cowboy boots, like embarrassing and a mini skirt like goodbye only the, so the first time you've ever sprinted since like easily your volleyball days oh that's so unfair of you to say <laughs> i'm such a good run i'm actually really fast when i want to be when i'm motivated which i was clearly i got to my seat in like three seconds and it was like easily like a mile run just kidding okay so what'd she start with did she start with the first okay, album she started she's okay first of all she started lover era the lover era. So I don't. So that is interesting to me. I would have thought that she'd gone go chronological, but she jumps around, huh? She totally jumped around. She started with lover. She the first song was Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. She's like emerging from the middle of the stage, and I'm literally we. I kid you not. Three and a, it was three and a half hours. I was jumping and screaming, singing for three and a half hours. Every single song, I was like so hyped it was in well except for the slow ones but still I was singing those songs okay so yeah she started with lover which like I feel like before I probably would have said is my least favorite album and it was really good I mean her outfits for lover were incredible she had like sequined like bodice bodysuit thingies um and like just it just was really well done and like the next song was Cruel Summer, which is, I think, probably the most popular one from the album. Cruel and- Summer's good. I mean, I like, I, I'm not a huge lover fan either. I like the song Lover, but I don't she, think Yeah, the she played that, that one. She did. So, how many songs is she doing from each album? Like four? Did, okay, this was what was interesting. She did not do the same number of songs from every album. So, okay. she did. So, this was a note that I had, which I thought was really interesting that, um, she did okay. Well, first from Lover, she did six songs. 
Okay. But some of them are shortened, like you could cut out parts. And then and then the most interesting was she did seven songs from folklore. Really? Which was really interesting. That's and surprising obviously- to me because that's a, that's a slower album. You wouldn't think Definitely. that there are a lot of like big stadium anthems in that one. Totally. But we were saying like obviously fully debriefed and dissected the whole concert afterwards. And we were like, she was so proud. I think she's really, that's her album that she's the most proud of. Like you could see it the way she was performing and just this is folklore. Yeah. Folklore, most mature. The- One thing I was curious about too, did she combine folklore and air evermore into, so evermore was a different era, even though they were released in the same year and have like so kind of folk- a somewhat similar vibe. Actually. Okay. I thought the same hundred percent. I was like, okay, they're her two pandemic albums. Folklore is kind of like, I liked folklore better and I still oh, do. To- folklore's way but, but so she played folklore. They, she did not play them back to back. She played evermore first actually, but folklore after the concert, I was like, okay, folklore was her like kind of like fairies and like forest and like truly folklore album. But evermore is the way she performed. It. I was like, oh, I get it now. It's like witchy, like fall witchy, like pumpkins. Very fall. Yeah. Which I was like, oh my God, when I literally like, this is like moving up the charts for me, which I would have said before. So what song, what did she do for him evermore that maybe rose up your ranks? Cause I don't, there's not a ton of songs that I really res that really resonate with me on evermore. Champagne problems. It's not bad. Okay. Well, yeah, just wait. There were so many moments from this that I was like, holy cannoli. This is amazing. (laughs) So I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. Yeah, you can, but it's okay. It's I don't okay. want to. Cannoli's better. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So first of all, she's saying no body, no crime, which is with Haim originally. Okay. And they opened for her. So that was amazing. And the song that I was like, this honestly was top three songs that she performed was Willow. Yeah. Willow's good. Really good. And the way it was. So beautiful. The like set of the stage was stunning. They had these like evergreen trees and like she had like a cape on. It was very witchy and they had like pumpkins and it was dark and it was like candle lit and very like, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful the whole time. I was like, this is Taylor at her best. Like she's such a good performer. Um, And I love the song, but it was so beautiful. And witchy which i'm like i literally feel like she's a witch like in a good way and i'm a witch so i'm like oh my gosh this is perfect okay so that was the first moment the second moment was champagne problems so she played this song on piano acoustic oh that's awesome and i didn't realize this at the time but it's like a thing on this tour after she plays it there's like people will clap like you do like you know you clap after a song we clapped for three minutes straight from champagne problems on, on piano. Yes. But then I was like, Oh my God, we like kept going and going and going. And I like literally two hours ago was looking it up and it's a thing. Like every stadium, they try to beat the last stadium. So we literally were clapping for the equivalent of an entire song. (laughs) And she's standing on the stage. Like me, like you're clapping for me. And we're like, yeah, we are. (laughs) We love you, Taylor. Um, 
but it was beautiful. It was a really great song. So that was, I'm trying to think, those were my notes. Evermore was just really kind of eerie, but And beautiful. she did that. You said she did that before. Was that number two? So she did Lover. Okay, no, I skipped. I skipped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Let's so skip back chronologically. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so she did Lover, which like was really good. Um, I feel like to me didn't stand out in the eras, but I thought her entrance was incredible. Okay, the second era is my like one of my favorite albums, Fearless. She right. only did did only she did, do did she do love story you belong with course. me yeah of course yeah, well she did fearless first which is my favorite song from the album and she did this thing which she used to do when she was on fearless the fearless tour like literally in 2011 or whatever where she would like hold the guitar and like spin around in circles i don't know if you've seen this but she did it again she's like brought it back so it's like a very cute thing that like real people that know her will know she used to do that when she would perform that song. Mm-hmm. So she only sang three songs, Fearless, You Belong With Me, and Love Story. Obviously, all of those are the Yeah, those are the big three. That's a it's a pretty adequate choice of the three. If you're going to go three from Fearless, yeah. I think that's the right call. It just was interesting. I guess we can do this when we like recap the whole thing in general, but it was interesting to me why she chose to do more songs from certain albums and only three from fearless, but you know, six from lover, but we can get into that later. Okay. So, so she did, um, evermore after that, which we talked about and then she did. So I think evermore is probably the most like quiet kind of beautiful, like acoustic album she has. So then from there she went to reputation, which was the most contrast. Yeah. The most insane transition. Like I literally almost had a heart attack. I'm not exaggerating. Legitimately almost died when they, okay. So the way they did it, they, she would like go and obviously was like changing. They're changing the set, but for reputation, the whole thing was black, the whole stage. I don't no, know how she does it so quickly. Cause these are like drastically different outfits, right? Like no, she's wearing, I mean, yeah, but like sometimes she's wearing like t-shirts and ballroom gowns and giant boots and she's just how giant many different outfits? yeah what are what are giant boots like the ones that you have cowboy boots oh cowboy boots okay yeah you know yeah. what i mean so i mean she's making she's doing this all in like under three minutes right like how oh easily diff- how, yeah, probably like how much time is there between each era it's pretty quick it's, right it's, yeah probably two there's no intermission there's no and then think about all the tech that's probably having to change on the stage so quickly oh fully there was yeah there was a lot i mean when we walked in there was like easily like 20 or 30 big rig trucks that probably have all her stuff in it because it was so done like there was so much done in the on the stage and stuff but the reputation like the start of it so the whole stage was black and then on the screen there's like a huge screen behind her and it was just like the sound of like high heeled boots, like walking, you know, that sound like, like that. I don't no, know. but I, I, I will follow you on that one. Like high heels on a, on a wood floor. So it's just like, yeah. 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 You no. Know? And then, and then there was like a snake, like coming across like a little snake and like, and I was like, Oh my God, like, 
I'm going to cry. And Reputations, honestly, like wasn't even one of my favorite albums. But I, I don't like it. I'm, I'm oh my God, no. I, literally, it's like one of my top albums now. It was the best. Okay, this one of the songs from Reputation was my favorite song of the whole album, of the whole tour. Which the, one? Can I guess? Yeah, you can guess. Um, she did I'm four songs. Think, okay, four I'm songs. trying to think what, I mean, Getaway Car? Okay, well, why don't you first guess which four she did? Because th- that was not one of them. Uh, probably look what you made me do. Right. That was the last one she sang. Uh, ready for it. Maybe that was the first one, right? It Cause was, ready for it's the first on the album. It was right. insane. She just walks out solo in her like red and black, like snake bodysuit, just her. And it was like, I actually like my brain herniated. I was like, Oh my God. Like, <laughs> This cur- this person is because it went from her being like a witch in the woods with like pumpkin lit up pumpkins to like this boss woman that's just like strutting and is like come at me like it just was so cool. Um. So, uh, did she do delicate for Hannah? Maybe. Yeah, she did do delicate for Hannah. That was the second one she sang, and then the third one you haven't you haven't guessed yet. Call it what you want. No, not that one. That would have been good, though. I did something bad. No, you're, maybe I should just tell just you. Just tell me. Just tell me. Don't blame me. This was my favorite of the whole tour. Don't blame me. Okay, I wouldn't have guessed that. It's so, I don't even know why. Like, it just was electric. Like, Hannah and I both agreed. It was insane. I I was so captivated the whole time and was just belting and was, it was just it's so hard to put the feeling into words, but it just was like powerful and just, I felt really cool. I don't know. Like, I feel like ever, cause I'm not. So it was fun to be like, Oh, she's also like when I think she was, I, empowering, right? Like that's the yeah, word, right. Powerful. hundred. Yeah. yeah. Empowering. Yeah. But it was, um, <laughs> thank you for helping me with words words are hard um but it was really yeah that that song was incredible um and then look what you made you do is the last one okay then we transition to the next era would you like to guess what the next era was uh well going with the theme of stark contrasts i mean did she go back early did she go back to speak now Hmm. Yeah. How good did choice. You know? Well, I you kind of threw me a bone with you gave me a good hint with the contrast, right? Of like going from evermore to reputation. So I thought I would have predicted that she would have gone chronologically, but what she seems like she's trying to do is really show the audience the true difference in the eras right and really have each era stand out as their own like i bet you if she did i actually now thinking about it more i think that's really smart because i think if she did folklore and evermore together maybe they kind of blend together but if you put the most diametrically opposed eras together they kind of stand out even more right like you have this giant swing from reputation all the way back to speak now and then you get your you get your favorite and speak now well, right. So she, so she went from look what you made me do, which is, you know, she was like just an aggressive song. And then she, 
And then there's like the lull in between. And then Speak Now, she comes out in like the purple ball gown and oh. sings Enchanted. And literally. So she she started with Enchanted. Yeah. And I cried. <laughs> <laughs> like not embarrassed to say it. I was fully in tears. Like the whole song. <laughs> it was so beautiful. It was so I'm like crying thinking about it now. You are crying. <laughs> oh my God. It was so it just like. It also has my favorite lyric from any Taylor Swift song. Which is? So I just feel like. I know it, but tell the, tell people. So she goes, so she sings in one of the, in the chorus, like the first time she sings it, she sings the, this night is sparkling. And then the last time she sings the chorus, she changes it, changes it to this night is flawless. And I just think it's, it's like so subtle, but it's so beautiful. And I love that so much. And I think it's one of those things like she's if you know she's so such a unique artist because she like has these secret it feels like one of those things like her easter eggs her yeah the, the easter eggs yeah her little things that she like this is obviously not an easter egg if you know the song you know the lyrics but like it just feels like one of those things that's like another way for her to connect with the audience like oh like it's like a little subtle change but like if you really know my music you know that and it just makes you feel more special and like it's also just really cool. Um, but so how many did she do for speak now? Cause that's a, that's a big one for you. So I was it's my curi- favorite. Yeah. So, you know, I was curious if she hit all the notes that you were hoping for on that one, by the way, I told you, I texted you this when I was driving back from Rochester, I can see you as unbelievable. That's the best vault song she's ever done. Oh, I disagree, but I do think it's really good. I, I can, see- I think it's, well, there's one on red that are, I think the very first night, which I didn't realize um, was a vault song. That that one's such banger. You like the kind of sing songy, like cute ones. No, nah, I have eclectic taste. I like a little bit of everything. Well, you'll like you'll like what she did for our surprise well, song. I was gonna say, did she play my favorite song? No, she okay. Well, backtracking, she played two songs from Speak Now. That's frustrating. That's gotta be, so, that's, was, that's also really surprising because you would think that she'd want to highlight her re-release of that album. So I would have thought that she would have gone the most heavy on speak now and definitely done. I can see you because I can see you as getting the most streams. I actually disagree. I thought for sure. I thought about it. And I was like, it actually makes sense because people have been listening to it so much. She probably didn't want to play all the songs because people have been listening to it. So it's like, Oh, people would want to listen to some. That's what I thought at least. You could be right. I mean, I'm not one to question Taylor Swift's marketing. She's absolute genius at everything she touches turns to gold. So that's still surprising that she only played two because there's just so many good songs on that. I mean, mine obviously is my favorite song. She probably doesn't really want. Oh, thanks. She probably doesn't want any part of dear. She doesn't play dear John really. Does she? She did play it once, I think, at a different venue. Um, but she played wasn't, it. Wasn't there that video of her playing Dear John and having to be like, guys, be nice, be nice? Yeah, know. because people absolutely tore apart Jake Gyllenhaal after All Too Well was released. Right. So so she was like, okay, like let's not cyber bully John Mayer. Um, but she did, per- I think she probably did it. Well, I actually don't know. Maybe she did it as a surprise song or she did it. But it was right after she re-released Speak Now. But so if she didn't do so, was her second from Speak Now? Uh, was it Speak Now? 
No, she's saying long live, which I also was like almost in tears for. I, good, I think like it's a good, good stadium song. Like that's a song you can sing along to. That song. It's not my favorite, but it's, it's a good one for sure. It's an OG and it's a very, like very, um, very early Taylor. I think like a good representation of her. And also it has a really great lyric that um, applies to my friend's life very adequately at this point, which is it was the end of a decade or no, it was, it was the end of a decade, but the start of an age, which was like, and then she goes into the chorus and it's like, everybody loved that. So those were the two she played from speak now. Um, Oh, also a note before I forgot, they gave us when you walked in these like bracelets that you wear and for each era or like song they would change the color so like the whole audience looked like purple for the speak now songs the red songs were always red so it was really um it was that was a cool touch too versus just having you know nothing or reputation was black what was lover like light blue reputation no they did like green because black you wouldn't necessarily say like see i guess they did green um what did you ask what was what color was lover like light blue pink maybe pink and blue i think okay what about night also lover was light it was light outside um oh, for okay. the beginning got it got it okay so where'd she go next, next we haven't went- we haven't hit my two favorite albums yet which is well you know, she's probably one. saving the best for last I think that well, you just ranked your favorite albums, which they could be different than what I thought. The next one was Red. Is that your favorite? Red's best album. Red's Red's your masterpiece. I disagree, but that's okay. I mean, every every album is a masterpiece. Right. But Red probably has the strongest compilation of I mean, I guess it's kind of right in her it's her fourth album. So it's kind of like right in the middle. So I still think you get some of the you Good get some research. of that. Thank you. You get some of that. I didn't need to research that. You just count them off your head because she has that first one and then fearless and then speak now and then red comes next. Right. I'm not missing any. I mean, yeah. So she oh. still has like the young Taylor edginess. She's probably, well. yeah, she's probably what, like 24 when she puts out red. It came out she's in 2002 because she's saying 22. Right. 23, maybe. Right. But I think that there's like, more mature lyricism at, in in red. Like all too all too well is all too well has got to be her. I mean, that's her. Style. Yeah, yeah, her. it is. It's. I think after this tour, I was like, I think all too well is my favorite song, which is annoying because it actually always. It's not annoying, but a, I always, that's interesting because I feel like the contrarian you would be like, nah, now nah, it's like. Well, that's why I'm upset. Well, first of all, I'm not contrarian. You're contrarian. So don't. <laughs> just kidding. No, I I always liked it. I think the 10 minute version is just so, so much better. And so I think that makes sense that people really. So she that. definitely played that. That Yeah. So she played 22. Then she played We're Never Getting Back Together. I love that song. I know you do. <laughs> just unbelievable. I also love that song. I'm so glad. I'm so glad she played that. I'm so glad I took videos for you. I didn't I didn't send them to you because you didn't want to hear anything before the pod, but yeah, no, you sent me uh we we're never getting back together a couple of times back in our high school days. Uh, maybe. I was gonna say she really like took the lyrics out of my mouth back when I was a youngster. <laughs> and then she's saying I knew you were trouble. 
Well, so here's mm, the thing. Like, I'm fine on that. So I'm I would have been hoping for Starlight, which oh, I love. But that's too niche. Like, I feel like she's not going to play that. Starlight's great. So is Red, obviously. I mean, well, obviously, I know, of course, but she, you know, she has no so many Red songs. the song, not obviously I know. the albums her best. But Red the song, Starlight would have been on my wish list. Very first night, that one's for the OGs. That's super niche. We're not oh. going to get that, but. You know, the real ones know the very first night absolutely slaps. So it's okay. <laughs> Not mad um, about it. You well, got you got the big ones. You got the big ones in there. Here's what I'll say. This was, the, I didn't mention it when we talked about Fearless, but not all of the albums that I, I don't have, like, like, here's what I'll say. Some of the songs, I have such visceral, strong memories of when I was the age when it came out. So like Fearless. I have the strongest memories. It came out like right before I started high school. So or red, like in the- red, red week. Cause we are never getting back together was literally when you were a sophomore at Hotchkiss and I was a junior. I know that. Right, but let's, let's pause. <laughs> I'm t- still talking about fearless. Okay. So fearless. I have these memories of literally being with Hannah, who's my friend that I went with. And we used to listen to it when we were in Hawaii, like right before we st- both started high school in different places and it just like it literally transported me it was insane it was the weirdest feeling in the best way and then it happened again with i knew you were trouble because i was like i obviously we're not getting we're never getting back together it's like oh my gosh like i took like obviously like relevant to parts of our lives in a cute way at at times yeah (laughs) in a cute way not for a long time but i knew you were trouble I remember also it was like, probably oh. relevant to our lives at times for sure. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I knew you were trouble. I remember it was like it really became popular. I was the trouble in that in that situation. I wasn't. That wasn't a shot by any means. I know. <laughs> we just don't need to elaborate. <laughs> You're silly. Okay, I knew so you were in trouble. We're, we're at red. Be back so. to being like in the auditorium at Hotchkiss because they would they play. I remember one time they played it on like Hotchkiss is the uh, high school that we went to, the boarding school that we went to. Right. So it just took me back to that, which was wild. And and then the last song she played was All Too Well, which was just her and the guitar and. For 10 minutes, but the way she, it was so cute, the way she said it, she finished I knew you were trouble. And then she was like, okay, like that, that, you know, she was like talking for a little bit. And she's like, are you guys like cool with me? Like, if, like, can you guys give me like 10 minutes? And we're like, yes. And everyone knew, obviously she's going to sing all too well. Um, she sang the whole thing. I sang the whole, every lyric, the entire song. Um, and it was just insane. It was it was so cool. And her outfits, she like brought the red outfits back, like the t-shirt from one of her music videos that's that said like, um, oh my gosh, what does it say? Like going through a lot. I'm going through a lot right now or something, mm-hmm. but you can GTS as we would say. Yeah. Going through something for sure. Okay. So that was red. Absolutely stunning. All too well. That was a moment I had to, I was like, I didn't cry. I was just so captivated. Like I was locked in and it was like, that was 10 minutes. It felt like 10 seconds. Like it, it just was so captivating. So um, what do we have? So where do we go next? Does she, 
Well, chronologically, 1989 is next, but I'm curious if she went back in time and played like, you know, the original album with Tim McGraw and Teardrops on My Guitar, or maybe she goes up to Midnight. Like, where where are we going after Red? I could see this one going in any direction. So, first of all, just to clarify, and I also didn't know this, she did not play any songs from her debut album. Interesting. So I guess we you're talking- you're getting the young Taylor fix that you need with Fearless, right? Well, I mean, no, because it, her debut album is like a country album. It's totally different. She did not play anything from it. And we were speculating. I Hannah thought maybe it was because she doesn't own the rights to it. Did you look at other shows? Was that it? Was that consistent with her other shows where she skips the the debut album? I didn't look. I'm pretty sure. I think she kept the general outline of the show, but she might have done like a surprise song like Tim McGraw or something like Teardrops on My Guitar or something like that. I did. I but again, like I didn't. I avoided social media at all costs because I didn't want. I wanted everything to be pretty. I there was a few things I knew. Um, but I wanted it to be the set list. I wanted everything to be a total surprise. Okay. So where's she going next? She, okay. She did folklore. Okay. So she played seven songs on folklore. Seven songs. And it was, can I, can I guess which one she went? Yeah. Uh, well, invisible strings, your favorite from folklore, if I'm correct. It's one. Yeah. It's one of two. She didn't play it though. Did not play it. Okay. The one. That was the first one she sang. Yeah. All right. Cardigan. Of course. Cardigan's great. I would imagine like she probably wouldn't do Exile without Bonnie Vare. Yeah. Uh, Betty. I love Betty. She did Betty and Betty was cute because she's really good. She told us the story behind it, which was cute. She was like explaining, (laughs) excuse me. She was explaining how when she wrote the album, most of her albums are very autobiographical. So they're about her breakups or her experiences. But when we were in COVID, which is when she wrote the album, there was, she needed her own form of escape. So her form of escape was creating these characters who had these interesting lives or whatever. So Betty is a fictional character. And then if you, whoever's listening to this should go back and listen to the song, but there's like the story is like Betty and then their high school students. James is her love interest and he does something really bad and messes things up between them and he's trying to get her back. Um, and then there's like this sort of triangle, love triangle that is folklore and you can really go down the rabbit hole and find all this stuff out. But um, she sang Betty next, which was great. Um, the third one, this one, Hannah, I this is my second or top two songs are tied for my favorite from the album but the next one is the last great american dynasty i was gonna i'm glad she threw that in there i'm a huge fan as well great song beautiful set well first of all folklore the set was so cool she had this like tree house which was super cool everything was covered in moss and like wood and just really beautiful um just her sets were so crazy and she came out when they first said i'm gonna show you a picture it's a bummer i can't show it's an audio podcast but for you yeah that's very cool she was like laying on this like moss covered treehouse in this white dress and she's saying and she was like singing laying down then she'd go down and walk and 
The Last Great American Dynasty is a story about the house that she owns in Watch Hill, Rhode Island. And it was owned by like an heiress or a woman in like the, I don't know what decade it was, like a long time ago or in the, sometime in the 1900s who married like some oil guy or something like that. And so it's the story about this woman. And so it was really cool when they, in the chore- the choreography was like, telling the story too. So she was singing it. And then it was like these women in these like old fashioned dresses dancing with the guy. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, And then she sang August. Interesting. I was good. Where do we stand on uh, Mirrorball? I'm a big fan of Mirrorball. She didn't sing it, but I, I like that song. She didn't sing it though. I wasn't super disappointed. She sang illicit affairs, which was interesting. Very interesting choice. Yes. It was beautiful. I mean, it's when you're in a concert with her, every song is good. Like there was not one song where I was like, oh, like she should stop singing. Like, well, every- obviously, but you definitely have like your wish list heading in, right? Yeah. And then she sang My Tears Ricochet, which was absolutely stunning. Great song. Beautiful yeah. song. And the last one was Cardigan, which was kind of, I think, the most popular one. But I wrote this down because I was like, this like there were moments that I just was like oh my god like moments that just really like reminded me of something or stood out to me she had this moment when she was singing cardigan and she was in this like white flowy kind of like flowy dress but it was like kind of witchy vibes and she like was like spinning around with like the sleeves like going in the wind and I was like oh my god she literally is Stevie Nicks who's my other like favorite singer ever and I was like, oh my God, I like had a heart attack and was like, holy crap, she looks so much like Stevie Nicks, like spinning around singing. It was so cool. So that was that was it for folklore. Um, seven songs, which you know, we were surprised. Like, we loved that album. I love the album. I think it's beautiful. I think it's that was just such a unique album for her, and she had never done anything like that. So you could tell from the way she was performing, the way she talked about it there. And the fact that she played seven songs, very proud, which I thought was really cool. Like it felt like she wanted to, she was like, Hey guys, like I haven't been on tour in five years. Like, this is what I made. Like, I want to show you guys, which was like, Oh, you're my friend. Yeah. I would have thought that maybe she would have ended with that. When are we getting to, cause 1989 just, just so like, did she play shake it off? Obviously, so uh, it's unbelievable. Also, blank space. Yeah, so she played style first. Style's excellent. I have no qualms. She did style. With that. She did the Harry style dance. He has like a dance that went viral, and he she did like a little version of it, which was that, cute because it's written about him. Can't say I'm familiar, but oh, I'll, take I'll show you for later. it. You'll do it uh, later. <laughs> it's just a cute little like shit. It's like two seconds. It's really cute, but he does okay. it during. So did she um, do Bad Blood too, which I'm not a huge fan of. Oh, I love Bad Blood. Okay, wait, just that. I just think on. like she, I would say that Blank Space, Shake It Off, Bad Blood, probably three of her biggest pop songs, all from the same album. And I think Blank Space and Shake It Off are her wildest. Wildest yeah. Dreams is excellent too. So Out of the Woods is good, but I would say that Blank Space and Shake It Off are her two best pop songs. Pop songs. For sure. For sure. Shake it. So she did style, then blank space, then shake it off, shake it off. That was another moment. I was like, that was when I was in college. There was like 
that was always played in college. So it's like all these moments are like coming back to you. And I'm thinking the whole time, like these high school girls that are in front of us were like, I don't know, like seven or eight when it came out. So they're like, oh, this is like our childhood. So it just was really cool. Really fun. Everyone was dancing. That was a fun song. Wildest Dreams was good. Bad Blood, she ended with. And then Midnight. this is where it gets. No, she did her surprise songs. So I thought the surprise songs would be like the encore, like at the end. She put them in here before Midnight's. And she introduced it. She says, oh, like, welcome to the acoustic set. So all of her surprise songs are just her. They're done acoustic. And they're album agnostic. Like she's all over. They're not Mm -hmm. from a specific album. She's going, she's mixing eras with the acoustic set. So she did, yeah, exactly. So she does two, the, always different. Every concert, we went on the second night in Santa Clara. The first night she did two different ones. Every venue, every night is different, which is so, cool. So what ones did you get? Okay, well, I'll, the first one was so cool because it was the first time she's played it live since 2013, literally 10 years. It was Stay, Stay, Stay from Red. Okay. Not so really familiar with that one. Great song. Very cute. Very sing-songy, but on the guitar sounded really great. Okay. Um, and then the second one was a vault song. It was All of the Girls You Loved Before. Do you know this one? So is that Vault from Red or? Well, not, okay. This is what gets. from Speak Now. because Well, listen. I'm this very is familiar with, with Speak Now re-recorded <laughs> at this point. I know you are. From all my driving. I know you are. You love I've turned you into a Swifty, a proper Swifty. Eh. Yes, you are. Okay. Are you? Okay. He's embarrassed uh, for everyone listening. <laughs> okay. So all of the girls you loved before. So when she released Midnights, she released a bunch of songs. I think it was like three, maybe that she had recorded during different periods. So all of the girls you loved before was from Lover. But she released it for some reason and then put it on the Lover album. So now if you want to find it, you'll find it on the Lover album. But it was it was really interesting. I found out later that it had been it was leaked in February. Like a part of it got leaked and it went viral. Like I think on TikTok or something like all the because the high school girls in front of us were going absolutely nuts when they heard it. Like full on, like hysterical falling on the ground like ah, like oh my god she's playing it and Hannah and I were like it took us a minute to figure it out what it was but it's you actually- knew every song that she played of course of course and she played 45 songs so then all she the just- words too all the words no come on really like yeah. maybe not every single word but like I would say like 95 percent yeah I believe you on that one Midnights, she closes with. She closed with Midnights, which was amazing. So, what does she do? Anti Hero and Karma? She did seven songs for Midnights. She did seven for Midnights. Like, where do you stand on Midnights? I'm not that I huge love. of a fan. Really? I do. I, it's not her best, but I think it, there's a lot of It's a good concert album. Um, sure. Bejeweled, Karma, like Vigilante shit, like very good performance songs like anti-hero she walk yeah yeah i may need to sit down with midnights again and reassess my opinion on it i don't know if i've given it the proper airtime for myself 
Yeah, there's a lot of really good ones. I like the ones that she released like in her deluxe. So she like did the original ones and then she did like a second release like of like an extended one. And there's some really good like ballads on that. Um, so she's saying Lavender Haze, Antihero, Midnight Rain, Vigilante Shit, Bejeweled, Mastermind, and Karma. That was the last song. And it was just such a fun karma was a fun ending they all had different colored like shimmery jackets on and i forgot to mention like her band her backup singers and her dancers were truly like the best i've ever seen so good and just all of them played off each other so well which obviously you would expect but just the whole thing was done so so perfectly and beautifully so was that the same? Does she basically do that same order at, at all of her shows? I don't know. I should go back and look now, but yeah. I would be surprised. I feel like she probably, probably plays more speak now. I would think, I know like after she released speak now album, she played when Emma falls in love, which is like you, a top five. Yeah. You love that one. That one's a vault song. She played at the concert like that night in Kansas city, which I was like, Oh, devastated. But I don't know if she, if she's played like the exact same songs, I would imagine like, you know, she's definitely going to play like the same like red songs, like some of them pretty okay. much all. So yeah. would you, do you think it was such a singular and unique experience that you kind of want to just hold it sacred or you're trying to go back as many times as logistically possible? Like if it, if it made sense with, I know you have a much different summer than next year than you did this year, but like, she's, she's doing this tour for another 14 months, right? Like she's going all over Europe. I think the final show is August. It's like August 14th, 2024, right at Wembley. Mm -hmm. So she's got a lot of, she's got a lot left. She goes to Australia. I mean, she's going all over the place and you'd say, even if you're not a diehard Swifty, like if you're somebody like me that appreciates her music, thinks she's thinks she's great, I love her, Natalie. I'm, I'm just not like I'm not at your level, right? I I wouldn't go to a concert and know all the words to every song, but you would say if you have the means to do it, there's probably not going to be a musical. I mean, I'm trying to think. I was trying to do a little bit of research for this and I didn't even really know how to research it, but I was like, is there a musical act that was this? She's made a billion dollars off this tour. I mean, was is there a musical act that I can think of that was more impactful culturally than what's happening right now? I mean, this is probably never going to happen again. Right? Yeah. I mean, she's, she's kind well, of the I last, read an article. Yeah. I read like an article. You know, she's the last kind of remaining monocultural figure that everyone kind of seems to agree on. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Beyonce earlier and I know she's on tour right now. So I imagine that that's, I think that's also it's really kinda, big. Kind of interesting. They're going head to head. I don't think there's any like drama between them. I don't know. No, nah, I mean, just, I mean, there's the Venn diagram of their fans. There's definitely got to be yeah. some overlap. So I definitely just, overlap. You'd think sure. maybe that one of the others would kind of clear out out of respect. Oh, interesting thought. That's very interesting. I think, um, well, I read an article that said 
that Taylor Swift has single-handedly reignited our economy. So that's very interesting. I think, I mean, to answer your original question, I feel it was so special. It was a very special night. It was a very, like going with my best friend since literally we've known each other our entire lives since birth. Going with her was really, really special. Just to give some context, kind of a new era for her, like a relatively very, like relatively new era for you in the last year. Very new era for her. A lot of symbolism going on. <laughs> very new eras. I think we're both like we're both going through different things. I think like she recently broke up with her partner of her boyfriend of six years and I'm like falling in love again. I don't know. <laughs> loves this. You know, so it's kind of cool. We like everybody's going through different things at different points of their lives. He's smiling. He's so happy. I said this on the pod, but I think, I think it's, it was really special, but I probably would go back if, if I could, it just was so I don't know though. Cause there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to touch it. Like I don't want to do anything differently. Cause it was so perfect, but it, I want to see it again. It was so good. And I want to go with you because I feel like, I feel like you would appreciate it. And like, it'd be like me showing you something, which would be really fun. Cause uh, just, has- just like I take you to watch Rory play golf in pouring rain in Rochester. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. I like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I've always liked, I like that stuff, but yeah. Okay. Natalie, when are you, when are you coming back? What's the the game plan? We'll do like a food. Yeah. Let's do something again. People need to like request, like what are people wanting? I can't contribute much on the golf front, but yeah, be careful with the requests. We'll get some. Yeah. I mean, well, well, I'm, I'm in vet school. So any animal questions, any like, Taylor Swift stuff, pop culture, food. I'm always good at talking about food. So have me back anytime. This is always fun. Yeah. I might check out the new crumble lineup just now to celebrate how good that, that podcast was. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Nothing to plug. Don't give people your Instagram. Um, nothing to plug. I would say happy summer to everybody. It's, the last we are recording this the last day of July. August is coming up. So going to Chicago soon. Yeah. Going to my friends. Yeah, we're going to my friend's wedding, which is gonna be super fun. You're like so carrying a dog in the wedding. Well, we'll see. It's it's to be determined. But plug Chicago. Chicago's a great city. Like probably the only other city I'd live in besides anywhere in California. So got fired to your location for the last month, basically. No, love, love, love New York, love all of it. But Chicago is such a great city. So vibrant. We have so many good memories from Chicago. We do. Lollapalooza. So, there's great golf in Chicago. Shout out Chicago Golf Club. One of my favorites. Butler is another the, one. Yeah, I'm playing going best, back to Chicago Highlands. That's another one of my favorites. The best people, great food, deep dish pizza. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to the next month. I hope everybody has a great August. Okay. Goodbye, Natalie. Goodbye. All right. That is it for the podcast. Special thanks to Natalie. Special thanks 
to rickrenkid.com, and we will be back on this feed next week, breaking down the FedEx St. Jude's Championship, first leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs. So best of luck with your bets this weekend, and we will see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead center back road stop